seat. So glad you are at Townsend Church this morning. Have you enjoyed your Easter weekend thus far? (laughs) So hopefully the weirdness of that is because of the awkwardness of Friday. Because if you're here Friday, you realized and learned that Friday, even though we call it Good Friday, really just was not that good. In fact, if we are honest, it was actually awful. And the only reason that we call it good is because we know what happens on Sunday. We know that as bad as Friday was, we have the luxury of having the historical record of knowing that Sunday came and Sunday changed everything. But what if we didn't know? What if we were in the spot of the disciples and in the spot of those watching, in the spot of the religious leaders in that day? What if we were there and we didn't know what Sunday was bringing? Would that have changed anything for you? I bet it would have. It changes a lot for me to think about the grotesque torturing that he went through, the awful death, the betrayal, the denial, the, the having his mom watch all of this take place, all of those things, and then to hear him say it is finished, and then to give up his ghost and die, and then watch him laid in a tomb and a, roll, a stone rolled in front of it. That's problematic for me. The very man that I watched do these miraculous, amazing, wonderful things and raise people from the dead is now dead himself. How in the world is he going to pull this one out of his hat? How is he going to raise himself from the dead? And I remember him saying it, but he's dead. No dead man that I know has ever raised another person from the dead. And I would imagine in those moments... As the disciples are taking all of these things in, as they're watching all of these things unfold, they probably felt very powerless. Do you ever ever feel powerless? Do you ever feel like it's just out of my control? I can't fix that. I can't do that. I can't deal with that. That's not fair. That's not how I would have done it. It's just out of my control. And we feel powerless. I would imagine to a large degree the disciples felt that fully. I would imagine the the ladies that followed Jesus around and and endured the beatings and the, the dying on the cross that he endured, I'm sure they felt powerless as well. And maybe the religious leaders and the Roman guards and everybody that was, maybe they all felt powerless or maybe they didn't. But it's something we can all recognize in our lives. There's been plenty of instances in my life where God has sent me into a direction that I did not want to go, nor was I ready to go. And I felt very powerless in those moments. But there was something about trusting him and moving in that powerless moment that he had placed in front of me that actually empowered me through his spirit to do what he called me to do. And so I want to play off of what we talked about Friday night and to reconsider and rethink some of the things that they might have felt and might have experienced that helps us in the day and age that we live in because there's a lot of us that feel very powerless even today. 
Whether it's our government rulings or COVID or your work situation or your home situation or your financial situation or maybe just the baggage that we all carry. We all find ourselves in a sense of powerlessness to some degree. And this morning, here's what I want us to think about. In order to be empowered... In order to do what God calls us to do, in order to go through the things that God allows us to go through, we must first become powerless. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound fun to me. I like a little bit of control. I like to know what's coming and to have a little bit of say in it. Amen? I know I'm not alone, so it's okay to say amen to that. I'm not going to hold it against you. Because the reality is that's where we all live. We like to have some type of control and power. But to experience everything God intends for us to experience, it will require us to become powerless before him. We have to. It's the only way that it will work. You see, in all of us, there's this secret battle that rages that we don't like to think about, but it's... My will against his will. And as long as my will exists, then I am not fully empowered by the Spirit of God because I am still battling against him. But when I can submit my will to him and follow after him and become humble before him, which renders me powerless, then I'm empowered by the Spirit to do what he's called me to do. That's not fun. It's not what the world tells us. But it is the best way, the right way, and the way that we are geared and the way that we were formed and created. So when we talk about powerless, powerless simply means lacking power to act. Lacking power to act. Now many of you are thinking, well, I I can act, I can do whatever I want to do. But think about that one situation where you are completely powerless. Let's let's take one that I'm very familiar with, Not not in a while, but I'm very familiar with this one. Let's say you're driving down the road, going a little too fast, and you get pulled over. I'm very well aware of the feeling of powerlessness in that moment. I cannot get out of this ticket. I cannot pay my way out of that ticket, and I cannot cry my way out of my ticket. I'm powerless. I have no control over that. And yet I did. If I had submitted my will in the beginning to do what I was supposed to do, Becoming powerless actually empowers me to stay out of trouble. Now, we can look at the silly examples like that all the time. But let's say I go to the doctor. And I get a report from the doctor that I do not want to hear. It catches me off guard. I wasn't expecting it. And it's really bad. Imagine whatever you want. I have my own little list of things that I really hope I never get. And so I'm just going to pick one in my own head and say, that's what the doctor tells me. In that moment, as the doctor is feeding me these truths and these things that we're going to have to figure out, I'm going to feel powerless because I can't do anything about it. Many of you have already experienced that to some degree. You know what that feeling of powerlessness feels like. And let's go a step further. Let's talk about baggage that we all carry. We all have stuff from our past, from our childhood that we are all dragging along that we would love to cut loose someday. 
but we feel powerless against it. In fact, what happens is in our normal everyday life, one thing or another will push that button that takes us back to that place of powerlessness and it transfers immediately to where you are in that moment. You can't do a thing about it. But what if you can? What if you could? Would you be interested in knowing what that might look like? Hope so, because that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. I don't like feeling helpless, do you? I like to be able to kind of do my own thing and, and be the captain of my own ship. Or so I think, anyway. But when I am in a spot and I feel helpless, the safest place for me to go that I have found is to the foot of Jesus. And I want you to think about this. The disciples have experienced something nobody really should have ever experienced. And we talk about how awful Friday is. Because Friday really was awful. It's only good because we know about Sunday, but Friday is tragically terrible. But we never talk about Saturday. We just assume that they go to bed Friday evening, they wake up Saturday morning and all's well. That they've forgotten everything that they've seen. The movies are stopped playing in their mind. But the reality is, Saturday is a day full of awful memories that they can't win with. It's full of the agony and the replay and the sorrow and the guilt and the frustration. Maybe even looking over their shoulder to see if they're next. Saturday is just another day full of of powerlessness it's debilitating it's overwhelming it's to the point that they are just hiding out this is such a positive Sunday morning message right it will be in a minute just hang with me it's so important that we recognize their powerlessness because to recognize their powerlessness allows us to see just how special Jesus and his resurrection is, which will empower us to do those things that we cannot. Because so many times we don't want to deal with our own powerlessness. We just want God just to take it away. When in fact what he may be saying is, no, pull it close. Acknowledge it, embrace it, own it. Let me take it and work with it. Let me leverage it for your good, for your growth, for your betterment. It's there for a reason. Let's use it for the right reason. So Saturday. Saturday is a day where the disciples, they're thinking and thinking over the the whole weekend, especially this last evening. And their leader, their friend, their savior... This is the guy who walked along the side of wherever they were and said, hey, follow me. And they drop their jobs. They leave their families. Most of them leave their hometowns and they follow Jesus for three and a half years wherever he goes. Think about that. None of us would do that, really. That's hard for us. But not only that, but this is their friend. 
three and a half years of pretty much day in and day out. There was very few times where they weren't all together. But he at least always had one or two with him unless he was praying by himself. But the relationship that they had, this camaraderie, this friendship was solid. It was true. It was good. And Savior, it was more like Lord. They recognized that he was the Son of God. They called him Lord. They didn't understand the Savior quite yet. Because he hadn't risen from the dead. But it's interesting to put ourselves back in the disciples' shoes and to feel and experience and to even contemplate what they were thinking of in this moment. Their powerlessness was off the charts. How are we going to keep doing what he's called us to do if he's not even here? <clears throat> and maybe they thought about the things that he said, yet he was coming back on the third day. Maybe they thought about the fact that he's going to rebuild the temple on the third day. Maybe, just maybe, that the circumstances and the situation that they were in was so overwhelming, so heavy, and so blinding that they were blinded from the truths that they already knew. Does that sound familiar? I know when I get in a spot, when I feel powerless, I'm not thinking about all the positive things in Scripture. I'm thinking about poor, poor me, sad me. Am I the only one? I get blinded by the things that I know that he is for me, not against me. That all things work to good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Like, those are things that I have to intentionally remind myself of through the Spirit to get me out of my powerlessness, to put me in a place to be empowered to endure whatever is coming down the pipeline. That's hard for us. And the disciples were having to do that. They watched their, their leader, their friend, their Lord be crucified. <clears throat> this isn't like the easy way out. But not only that, but think about this. When you have a tragic situation in your life and you lay down at night to try to go to sleep, what do you think about and see? Sunshine and sprinkles and rainbows and unicorns? No, you replay the events. You answer or try to answer all the what ifs. I should have. What if I could have? All of those memories, all of those thoughts start flooding back in. They start thinking about their three and a half years. And man, if I would have done this, or if I hadn't have fled in the garden, if I would have just stood up and said this, man, if I would have said that, maybe Judas wouldn't have. And is that not what we do? It's a sense of powerlessness. It's a sense of, I, I can't fix it. I, sh- I should have done this. And these disciples are, are dealing with this. They're, they're wrestling with these things. But not only that, but their passion was extinguished. Listen, look at this passage in Matthew 26. Jesus, right after the, the feast of the Passover, before he is taken off uh, uh, after the prayer in the garden, <coughs> excuse me, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Look what Peter says. Even if I have to die... I will not deny you. Even if I have to die, I will not deny you. And look what the disciples said. All the disciples said the same thing. Their passion was real. Their concern for Jesus was spot on. And they were intentional about saying, 
We will die first before we deny you. They were passionate about their leader and their friend until they fled. And we can raise our hands in church and we can sing to the top of our lungs with all the passion and energy that we want. We can say amen. We can do great things on the altar. But when it hits our lives, are you a runner or are you going to steadfast in the grace by which God provides? That's where it hits home for me. Because in those moments where it hits me square in the face and it renders me powerless, what do I do? It's an interesting thought, is it not? It's a tough thought. It's a thought we should all consider and think through. These are the disciples. They saw him face to face, probably loved on him a little bit, rubbed elbows with him, but probably didn't wear masks with him. So they got to see his facial expressions all the time. They knew when he was smiling and when he wasn't. And they watched him die. And they were powerless in that moment. They didn't know what to do. So they ran. Man, may that not be said of us. Now, this is going to be an interesting side note, but it's not just a side note. It's an important note in this. We've got the ladies that kind of follow Jesus around. They were there at the crucifixion. They actually followed him as they took him to lay him in the tomb. They watched the stone roll in front of it, and they were there Easter morning checking things out. These ladies were were important, and they were special, and they loved their friend, and their leader, and their savior. You see, it didn't matter whether they were male or female, or whether they were called a legitimate disciple or not, they still loved Jesus the same way, and he loved them the same way. You know what's interesting about this is, he was the only one in this culture that validated them. Let that sink in. In this culture, being a woman was not highly prized. But Jesus didn't care about culture. He cared about the heart of the person. Think about the time where they were in the house and the woman comes in and begins to anoint his feet with the oil that she had bought. And they begin to talk about it and said, hey, man, if he only knew what kind of woman this was and what she does for a living, he wouldn't allow this. And you know what he does? In a roundabout way, I'm paraphrasing big time, but he basically says, I know who she is, and I know what she does, and I still love her. He validates her. When those men would not, Jesus stood up for her. He didn't approve of what she did or does, but he approved of her heart because he knew her. When they brought the lady caught in adultery, throws her down right in front of Jesus. And all the men are there ready to stone her. Jesus says, all right, here's what we're going to do. If you have zero sin, you chuck the first stone. And he stops what he's doing, just kind of playing in the sand. And everybody leaves. And if anybody had the right to stone her, Jesus did. He had no sin. And what did he do? He picked her up, looked her in the eye and said, listen, your accusers are here, not here anymore. And I'm not accusing you of anything. 
go and sin no more. He validates her. Mary and Martha. Martha's busy, 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 busy. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus like every other disciple was learning like they were. Martha fusses and says, hey, Jesus, tell her to get busy. Jesus says, no, Martha, mm -mm. I appreciate what you're doing, but Mary has chose the better thing. He validates actually both of them. But he validates Mary where she is at. See, that's important. These women had a huge stake in all of this. And just like the men, they felt powerless. Their sorrow was more than they could handle. It was more than they could bear. It brought them to a place of mourning the loss of their friend, their leader, their savior. And they felt absolutely powerless because they could do nothing. Not culturally, and especially in that moment physically. Many women who followed Jesus, here's just a list of them. From Galilee, ministering to him, were uh, there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. This is why they were standing at the cross. Now, can we just take a minute here? Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Have you ever thought about that at all? I'm sure from the time Jesus was in her, until he died, she never ever forgot what God had told her through the angel. She knew that her baby boy was something special. And she watched him throughout his life tenderly and intentionally work with people and talk with people. She watched him in his adult ministry heal the sick, raise the dead, and take care of those who could not take care of themselves. And then she had to watch him be brutally beaten, dragged down the street, and nailed to a cross to simply die naked in front of the very people he came to save. That's his mom watching. You want to talk about powerless? She was powerless. These ladies felt that. In fact, they go to the tomb on the third day, and it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Well, what did they tell them? Well, they told them, he's not there. The tomb is empty. That's good stuff. Well, these aren't the only players in this game that felt powerless. We've got the guards. Now, you may be thinking, who cares about the guards? There's guards. Well, there's a big deal here. The guards felt powerless. They weren't sure of what's going on, and they weren't sure to the point of losing consciousness. You see, when the angel shows up, he's super bright, super different, and he rolls the stone away, and these guys quake for fear, and they just pass out as if they were dead. Now, When they wake up and nobody's around and there's nobody in the tomb, that's a problem for them. What you may not know is that in that time, if a Roman guard was set to um, look over a captor or with a job such as what they were doing, and it failed, they were going to lose their life. And so they go back and they begin talking to all of 
the leaders because they had a loss of peace. They felt powerless at this moment. Yes, they had all the power to inflict whatever punishment they wanted on Jesus, but now they were absolutely powerless. And they go and they talk, and this is what happens. While they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city, reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. They went step by step of everything that took place. And these chief priests look at them and say, hey, don't tell anybody that. Don't repeat that ever again. In fact, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you some money. And we want you to just tell everybody that the Jews took him. And so they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. It's a common belief that Jesus never really resurrected. That he was just stolen. And we don't know where his body is. Well, I do. I do. Isn't it interesting that everybody is powerless, even those that think that they have power? Even these religious leaders think that they are manipulating this story because they have power. And the reality is they are just as powerless as everybody else. In the world we live in, there are so many people that think that, well, I've got a lot of money, so I'm powerful. And the reality is they're just as powerless as anybody else. They're just as powerless as us because they have the same deals to deal with and the uh, different things to worry about. Powerlessness runs rampant through every human life. But how can those who have power that wield it the way that they do, how can they truly be powerful? Well, it's time to get to Scripture. Let's go to Matthew 28. This is where it gets good. This is where the, the bad stuff turns well. Turns great, actually. In Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, Matthew records, as the first day of the week began to draw, to dawn, excuse me, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Now I've always pictured it in my head as this. This angelic being just kind of out of nowhere, comes down, he walks over to the stone, probably just flicks it with his finger, it rolls out the way, and then he just kind of levitates right up and sits right on it and just crosses his leg and folds his arms and says, sup, right? Like that's how I picture it. Now it probably didn't happen like that, but we don't know the details so we can make it up as we go, right? Not really. Verse 3, his countenance, what he looked like when you looked at him, here's what you would see, was like lightning. It was bright. It was flashy. It was just amazing. His clothing as white as snow. And the guards that were standing there, they shook for fear. They were scared to death. Could you imagine this Things showing up out of nowhere that look that bright, that amazing, that just walks over to the stone and just kind of pushes it out of the way, and then hops up on top and sits on it like it was nothing? I'd be a little fearful too. And became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, now he is directly and intentionally talking to the ladies that are there. He says, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's like, listen, Take a breath. I'm on your side. It's all good. I know why you're here because you are here because Jesus died. Because he was crucified. But watch what he says. He's not here. 
for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Listen, this guy, in all his brightness, says, hey, well, take a breath. It's okay. I'm a good guy. I'm on your side. He's like, I know why you're here. You're here because you watched Jesus die on the cross and he was buried here. I know why you're here. You came to see it. But let me, let, me, let me help you out with what's going on here because I know he's already told you, but let me make sense of what you're getting ready to not see. He's not here. He walked out a little while ago because he's alive. And so if, if that doesn't make sense for you, if it, if it doesn't work for you, come see. Come see where he should have been laying because he's not laying there anymore. He's out. He's gone. I love that. What do you think about their powerlessness now? I would imagine it's just being emboldened even more. Like, seriously? Now what? Or, it could be that that powerlessness is now giving way to hope. Because all of these things that they had heard begins to replay in their mind. And as they look inside the tomb and they see nothing there, here's what they do. Because the angel says, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. These ladies hightailed it out of there. They ran straight to the disciples and they told them, Everything that had taken place. Hope came alive. Hope came alive. Our hope is not in our government. Our hope is not in our financial status. Our hope is not in the things that we own. Our hope should be and only should be in the fact that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. That, my friends is why we can do what we do. Without that, this is pointless. Hope came alive, and hope eats away at powerlessness. Think about these ladies as they're running. I would imagine, maybe they had to stop. I don't even know how far they had to run. Maybe they had to run three miles. Maybe they did it lickety-split. Who knows how long it took them to get there, or what they were talking about on the way there. Have you ever thought about that? I'm sure they weren't quiet. And as soon as they bust into this door, wherever the disciples were, I bet they just couldn't even stop talking about it. You ever, you ever been around somebody that's so excited that they talk so fast and so just like you, like just shut up and start again. Like be quiet. I can't understand even what you're saying. Right? I would imagine to some degree that's what's going on. Maybe once they caught their breath. And so what happens is when they get there, the disciples, two of them take off, Peter and John. They don't even stick around to ask questions. They're out the door. And they run to the tomb to see it for themselves. Peter beats John there and he ducks in. And they were right. He's not there. He's gone. He had risen as he said he would. And then a little bit later on, you've got two men on the road to Emmaus. They were either two of the original 12 disciples or two disciples that were kind of not a part of the original 12, but a bigger group. And Jesus appears to them. And so some experienced Jesus without even knowing it. They literally walked from one town to the next without realizing that Jesus was telling them all the Old Testament stories. 
And when they get to this man's house, they implore him to stay and he stays for dinner. And after he prays for the meal, their eyes are open and their hope was restored because they realized who he was. And then in that instance, he left. And I don't know about you, but that would have been frustrating to me. One, that I just saw him again and he left me. But two, that I just spent an entire how afternoon with this man. And I didn't even recognize who he was. Which again speaks to when we get in our hopelessness and our powerlessness states, it blinds us to what we know to be true and we are able, are not able to see God at work. Which is why it is vital for us to constantly and consistently be submitting ourselves to him so that we can see where he's at work and go join him every opportunity that we can. And then those that doubted it believed it. When he shows up in the upper room with all the other disciples, Thomas is there. And Thomas, you know how Thomas is, he's like, nope, I'm not believing it. Now, there's many times where we read Jesus' words and we try to put some different um, flexes in the, the tones and the way that we read it. And so many times I've read this as Jesus kind of putting Thomas down a little bit, like, Thomas, come look, come touch me, like I'm real. But what if that's not how Jesus said it at all? Jesus recognizes their powerlessness and their hopelessness. He knows that they're struggling with all this to put it all together. And I can envision him now standing in front of them, hearing Thomas say what Thomas says. And he looks at Thomas and says, Thomas, look. Look, look at my hand. Look, look at my feet. Dude, if that's not enough, come touch my side. It's me. And in that moment, in that instant, their hope goes away from the hopelessness that they had and the powerlessness that they were experiencing. And he turns it around and they begin to experience the hope that can only come from Christ. It's the only place. And from that moment, the disciples were all in, even unto death. That changed everything for them. Everything that they uh, had heard Jesus say and they watched it come true, they were in from here on out, especially when the Spirit visited with them and indwelled within their lives, just like he lives within you. Their powerlessness led them to the hope of Jesus. Listen, I've talked a lot about and tried to drive home the powerlessness of these individuals. But the reality is, again, this is where we all live. We all just want to say a quick prayer and God just fix everything and we don't have to deal with anything. Well, maybe God's allowing you to deal with that thing, whatever it is, to bring you to a place of recognizing that you are powerless against it. And you need Him. Our powerlessness should drive us to have hope in who he is. My powerlessness in certain areas of my life drives me to my knees with open arms saying, I can't do this. I don't know how. It's whipping my tail. I need you. And so instead of dismissing those opportunities of, to experience the powerlessness, we should embrace it, draw it close, bring it in, in order that we might experience God's grace and mercy even more. And when we can embrace our powerlessness and know that we are powerless in many situations, if not all, 
that he will empower us to be able to endure and do what he's called us to do. You guys still with me? Okay, good. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And if any time Christians need to hear that and believe that and stand on that, it is now. Listen, we, I, I get it's a real thing and I get that there's stuff going on that we don't quite understand, but it has rendered us powerless too long. We still should be responsible, but this fear, it's got to go. It's got to go. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Look what he has given us. He has given us power in our powerlessness. He gives us power to go through whatever he allows into our life. That horrible doctor's report. That terrible situation in your family. That horrible baggage that you're carrying. All of those things, he gives us the power to endure it because we recognize our powerlessness in it. But not just that, but he gives us the power to, of love. He allows us to love those that are unlovable. And if there has been a better time for Christians to love correctly, I don't know it. Now's the time. Now is the time people need to experience Christ's love through our lives. And then of a sound mind, listen, we're not a bunch of dummies. We know what's going on. But it will render us powerless in so many ways if we're not careful. We need to submit it to him. Let your powerlessness bring you to the hope of Jesus. Andrew Murray is a book that we've been, or a writer that we've been reading after. And man, he is, he's a, oh, he irritates me. His books are so stinking good and so hard and so in your face. It's the reason I don't like him. It's it's really hard. And we've been reading about humility, which that's hard in, in and of itself. And there were so many quotes in this last week's chapter. And by the way, these chapters are like, the book's like this big, and it's like two and a half pages long, and it literally takes us an hour and a half to two hours just to pilfer through just those few pages. Not because he's a horrible writer, it's just that hard stuff. And so we, we talked a lot about humility this week. We talked a lot about fully submitting to a holy God in order to experience him in, in, in a big way. And this is the quote that I walked away from, and it fits so well for me in this sermon. He says, humble yourselves unto the death. Now this death that it's talking about is not the physical death. Now we should humble ourselves to physical death. But that's not what it's talking about. Look at the next statement. He says, it is in the death to self. The death to self that humility is perfected. For me, when I think about my powerlessness, the reason I... And powerless is because I want in my flesh and in myself to fix it, and I can't. So for me to experience perfect humility and to be empowered by the Spirit of God, I must allow myself to remain powerless. Because in my powerlessness, I am allowed to experience God's inner workings of my life to take me further than I could have ever gone on my own. It requires me 
to allow myself to die. It's not a fun topic, right? That's not what we want to hear. We want to hear the the rah-rah-re stuff and the, the easy believism stuff because that's easy stuff. But the reality is that's not the true stuff or the right stuff. The true stuff and the right stuff is we don't know what's best for our lives and we must submit them to a holy God in full humility to allow ourselves to experience his greatness and his fullness so that our hope will be fulfilled in the end. So for me, for you today, in order to be empowered, we must become powerless. You know, there's so many times where we talk at the end of a service about the questions and the the things that we can come to the altar and pray about. And so here's what I want you to be thinking about in light of that. What are you powerless with right now? What in your life do you just have zero control over? And it is whooping you. It could be something external. It can be something internal. It could be something completely out of your control. But what is it? What is it that you are completely and totally powerless with today? And if you can think about what that is, maybe today is the day that you come to the altar of God and you lay it down, you crucify it here. Because it won't resurrect unless you bring it back. But if we leave it at the feet of Jesus, he knows exactly what to do with it. Second question is this. Are you able to leverage your powerlessness to experience hope in Christ? Can you take that situation that you're living in right now, that you're dealing with, that you feel absolutely powerless with, can you leverage that? Can you flip it on its head and use it for God's glory? Can you accept it and embrace it and allow God to work a work in your life for your good? It may not be the good you think it should be, but always for his glory. Can you leverage your powerlessness for his good today? And then thirdly, it's a tough one. Are you willing to lose it all in order to gain it all? In fact, and that's even a tough question because we shouldn't lose it all to gain it all. We should lose it all because that's what the best thing is for us. That's what true humility looks like. Are you willing to lose it all in order to gain it all? As the praise team comes, let me pray for you. God, I appreciate just you. You are so good and so great. And I know that your spirit has a unique way of working in our hearts to take all the things that have been shared and talked about and expressed and pick one or two things that deals with each of us. And Lord, I know that the spirit wants to work with us and to draw us closer to him. So Father, I I ask that you allow your spirit to do just that today. Not only to be empowered, but to experience the true hope that comes with Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for all that he has done. But thank you most of all that he has the power to bring hope to our powerlessness. Move within hearts. Allow us to sit on this all week. And may you gain glory of the changes that take place in our lives. In Jesus.